0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Grace City Church podcast. If you would like more info on our church, you can visit gracecityboston.com. Now let's get to the sermon. So I'm, I'm really excited about uh, the next three weeks. Well, let me be honest. I, I'm, I'm excited about the next three weeks in terms of our sermon series. Uh, I'm, I'm hesitant about the next three weeks from a cultural standpoint. I don't know if you guys know, uh, th- there's an election that's happening, uh, COVID is going on, uh, uh, racial tension is happening. Uh, there is uh, economic kind of crisis uh, on, on the horizon in terms of, of just kind of culturally where we are. And so uh, from a cultural kind of standpoint, uh, it tends to continue to be building and building and building. And so uh, just kind of thinking through, how do we as a, as a church, how do we as God's people think through culturally where we are and how do we uh, approach it in a way that is is healthy and is right and is honoring uh, to god and so the next three weeks we're going to be landing in a series called uh, a certain hope a certain hope in the city and so uh, or how to live with a certain hope basically this idea that um how do we uh operate in this season of uncertainty how, how do we uh, how are we ultimately gonna do it and so i'm really excited to be kind of walking through Uh, the text that we're going to be looking at. Um, In in October of 2017, there's a street artist named Shepard Farley. And Shepard Farley created uh, a piece of art that would forever be stamped on the brain of Americans everywhere. Uh, In January 2019, this, this piece of work, this piece of artwork was so... Um, so uh, polarizing, so popular that in 20, uh, in January of 2009, it was acquired uh, by the Smithsonian Institute and it's put in their natural uh, uh, national portrait uh, gallery from this street artist, a guy named Shepard Farley. And so what was this this piece of art? You, you may as soon as I say it, you're going to know um, he was the, the guy who created the iconic uh, Obama hope poster. Do You remember that poster? the kind of multicolored poster with the portrait of Obama. And then uh, do you remember what was, there was a couple of different statements that was written underneath it, but probably the most popular uh, of all of these posters was the word what? Hope. And so if you were in that kind of presidential season, uh, you would see this sign everywhere. I mean, this was just kind of all over the place. They were kind of plastering it on uh, streets everywhere. Eventually the Obama administration kind of took this and said, "Hey, we want to we want to pr- kind of produce more of this kind of uh, iconic picture and photo, and and we want to begin to kind of spread this thing around." And so, uh, as I was thinking about this particular series, and thinking about this particular kind of three-week series that we're now was or three weeks that we're we're into. So we have two Sundays uh, before the election, and then we have a Sunday after the election. That's where we're doing the series in the middle of this. And so I was thinking about this kind of, this, this poster, this Obama poster of hope. And I was like, what was it that so resonated with people that made this such an incredible piece of work? Like what, what was it that cr- would create such a, a kind of a rallying cry for people uh, to kind of come around that? Why was that the poster of any, of any political ad that I can remember, not that old, but of any kind of political push and ad that, that I can remember, that one is just stamped on the front. And I was thinking through it, I thought, it, the, the reason that it is, is because w- what did Obama represent? What? He represented a, a source of hope. He represented this source of, for, for people that were, were behind him, it was like, we, we have this expectation of something coming that's better than what we have. That's why it became such a a strong kind of uh, rallying cry for people. And so I began to think about this this word hope, right? Because this is a a word that, that everyone's kind of familiar with, but I'm not really sure that we can define it in a way that uh, tends to be healthy, right? Because I think that in a lot of ways, um, there, there's, there's, I think, kind of worldly hope and how we tend to think about hope. And then there is uh, what I would say more godly hope and how we tend to think about godly hope. So think about this. So earthly hope versus Christian hope, right? So usually when we use the word hope, uh, we, we're expressing a type of uncertainty and not certainty, right? So we would say, um, I, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, I hope dad gets home early so that we can play ball together. You're, you're expressing what? A hope, but you're not certain that dad will get home early. Or, or we'll say, uh, our, our hope is that, 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 uh, that Janet will arrive safely. Right, what, do you, what are you saying? You're saying, well, I, well, I have a hope that she will uh, arrive safely. I, I hope the train isn't delayed. I, I hope the bus shows up on time, right? That is, we know that's not certain. It's not ever going to be certain. We use, so when we use the word hope, We use it in a sense where there's a tinge of uncertainty connected to the word hope. But that, I think this is a key, that is not biblical hope. Biblical hope is not rooted in uncertainty. It's rooted in certainty, uncertainty. Okay, so let's look at, you have my notes uh, on that QR code that, that, um, that Haley and Matt mentioned, but you can look there. Uh, and this definition is in those notes as well. So this is what biblical hope is. So I'll define it for us and we'll, we'll kind of dive in and look at what we're looking at. Um, biblical hope, not just a desire for something good in the future, because that's what hope is. It is a confident, here it is. It is a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. And it not only desires, here it is, it not only desires something in the future, but it expects something in the future. So Christian hope, it's not a a desire, it's not I desire that God would come through. It's not uh, I desire that God would would do what he said that he would do or that that he would be who he said that he would be. No, Christian hope is I have a expectation that God is, who He says that He is, that He'll do what He says that He'll do. And I think in a lot of ways right now, I think what culturally, what we need as a culture is we need a people who are operating in certainty. We need, we need a people who, who are operating with a, with a certainty and an expectation in who God is and what He does. Because here's, here's kind of my just kind of cultural observation, if you will. I, I think uncertainty, which is kind of the season that we're in, would, would we all agree with that? We're in a, like a season of uncertainty in a lot of ways. I think uncertainty is, is the lab in which hope is birthed. Let me say that again for you. I think uncertainty in times of uncertainty is the is the lab in which hope is created? Hope is birth in times of uncertainty, because we're we're looking to something better. And so I think I think culturally, what our world needs more than anything right now is a is a steady people, is a certain people, is an unwavering people. Now, how are we going to do this? Are we? Like we're not going to white knuckle this. We're not going to. We're not pull this out of our own will, right? I mean, it's not like we, this is not something that we can do as humans. So how are we going to do it? Well, if you ever Bible, go to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We're going to be in. We're going to start in verse one, in. In Romans chapter eight, and we're going to be looking at hope through uh, the the book of Romans, uh, chapter eight through the next three weeks. Now. Um, a guy named Paul wrote the book of Romans, and uh, in in Romans is like Paul's kind of seminal piece. Do you know what I mean? Like if he was an artist, this would be this would be the album that you would always talk about. This would be this is his uh, this is his dissertation. Do you know what I mean of all of his work? When you think about everything that Paul has created, so Paul wrote. If you're looking at the New Testament, Paul uh, wrote a lot of the New Testament letters that we have. And the book of Romans is kind of it. It is the major work in which all people uh, look at when they're looking at what he uh, when they're looking at what he's created. Martin Luther actually said this. He said uh, Romans is not is, is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, but by heart, but but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It, it should never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better that it tastes. So he says the book of Romans is Paul's most incredible book. And then I would say, if we're gonna drill that down even more, that chapter eight of the book of Romans is Paul's uh, greatest chapter. It's the one that when Paul got done writing it, maybe you've had those moments when you're writing something. when, When he got done writing it, he was like, That's it, that was the one. Like that's what I was waiting on. That moment right there is what I was waiting on. So Romans eight is where we're gonna be hanging out for the next three weeks together as we think about what does it mean to be a people with hope? And so the title for the sermon today is um, Hope in the Holy Spirit, Hope in the Holy Spirit. So uh, chapter eight, starting in verse one, let me pray and then we'll dive in, read for a bit. God, thank you. Thank you that you communicate to us still, that you're still communicating to us. God, you've been doing it for thousands of years and you still have a desire to be known, God. And so we ask this morning that through your, your Holy Spirit, God, that you would give us um, insight. God, That if there's um, areas in which someone here is, is walking in darkness or, or, or walking in isolation, God, that you would reveal that to them. God, if someone is here and they're walking in Uncertainty and they feel their anxiety level at a place that's that's unmanageable, God, would you meet them in that place? God, would you speak to them in the midst of that, that you would give them certainty in the midst of a very, very uncertain time? God, we need your help. We, We cannot do this without you. Let me pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, verse one of Romans eight, here we go. He says, therefore, we'll look at the therefore in a second. He's talking about chapter seven, but he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in uh, Christ Jesus. Now we could stop at that verse, just talk about that verse, walk away and feel great. And feel great. Let me, let me read it again, because based on your faces, I only see your eyes, right? So I need you, I need some, some like emotionally just penetrating eyes in this moment. Let me read verse one again. This is what it says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Okay, love that. That's awesome. What can we give me another word, Pastor? Listen, this is what he says. He says, If you were in Christ Jesus, you lived as a non condemned person. Now, no condemnation is a legal term. It means that your debt is paid. It means that that your obligation to whatever debt that you had to be non-condemned means you no longer have that debt. That's great news. That's like clap your hands, amen. I can walk in freedom through the rest of the day and the week and the next month and the year kind of good news. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. See, we're we're gonna look at what God does on the inside of us and the interior of us, but the thing that we have to recognize, and this is what Paul's speaking towards, that God had to do a work on the exterior before He was ever gonna do a work on the interior. Now, what is the exterior work? Is it your exterior work that changes your interior? No, no, no. What Paul recognizes and says that the exterior work that the Father did was what? It was sending the Son. It was sending Jesus. And so he says, if you are going to be a non-condemned person, it'll come through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what it means to be a non-condemned person. And so he, he does this work externally before he gets to the Internal. Now, one of the things that is important to think about, so when you're reading in the Greek language, so Greek language is a bit different uh, than the English language. And, and so uh, the words kind of carry different terms and, and these types of things. And so one of the things that, one of the kind of the moods in the Greek language um, that, that uh, tends to give us some direction is uh, in what we would call divine uh, indicative. So a divine indicative is something that um, either God has done, is doing, or will do is a divine indicative. So in the indicative mood, that means it's something that, that God is doing, will do, or is going to do. So when you're looking at this, uh, when you're looking at this particular text in verse one, so if you're if you're looking at it, verse one, two, and three of Romans chapter eight, let me read it. He says, therefore, there's no, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And then he's gonna give some of the reason. He's gonna build on why we can be a people who have hope. He says this, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? It says, has set you free. That is a divine indicative. Has set you free. Has set you free. From what? From the law of sin and death. And then verse three, look what he says in verse three. For what the law could not do since it was what? Weakened by the flesh. Now, we'll talk about in a second. He's using, um, he's using a word there that's actually, when he uses the word flesh, it's a, it's a word that's kind of hard to translate in the Greek. It, it, depending on the trans Bible translation that you're reading, uh, it can be sinful nature. It can be translated flesh. It can be translated all kinds of various ways. It honestly gives translators a nightmare when thinking about how to translate this word flesh. But he says that the human condition can't follow the law of God Why? Because it is weakened by this thing called flesh or this thing called sinful nature that lives inside of people. And so what are we to do? So it says it's weakened by flesh. Look back at verse three. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by flesh. What does it say happens? It says two words, two beautiful words. It says, God did. What? The law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, our flesh, our nature. God did. He did. He did it. It goes on. Paul goes on. He says, he condemned sin in the flesh. Divine indicative. He condemned it. In the flesh, how? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So Paul begins the most incredible work, the most incredible chapter of the most incredible work. Now he didn't have to, he wasn't operating in chapters. It was just one long letter, but this most kind of incredible piece in the most incredible book that he's written. And he starts out by saying, God did this work. His Son. He did a work that you couldn't do. I almost, um, I almost entitled this sermon, Hope from the Past. That, that's kind of like, as I was thinking through this, to be honest with you, I was thinking like, man, you almost think about hope from the past. I mean, it's almost when you think about this, this work that Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, it's almost like as God's people, we can almost kind of, um, how do we draw hope in a uncertain moment? In a lot of ways, we could almost kind of pull back to what Jesus did and kind of pull it to the present, if that makes sense. Like kind of a draw back on God's faithfulness and say, hey, God, I don't know a lot of things about the future. I'm not sure about the next three weeks. I'm not sure about 2020. I'm not sure about 2021. Don't know. Don't know what the the economic situation is going to be. Don't know what the presidential situation is going to be. Don't know what my mental situation is going to be. Don't know what the COVID situation is going to be. But I do know one thing, that you did what I could not do. And we got to be a people who can draw from the well of God's faithfulness in the past and bring it into our present. Am I making sense on this? Because you will not last, I won't last, if we're not a people who are good on drawing back from the faithfulness of God. And so, so Paul said, what the flesh couldn't do, God did. Now he talks, he says this thing about sin and death, the law of sin and death in verse two now, now what is that? Well, we're gonna kick back to Romans chapter seven. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I don't think I put it in your notes, maybe I did. I I think I did actually in your notes, but uh, Romans chapter seven, which is what Paul is talking about before Romans chapter eight, 21 and 25. This is the law that he's talking about because it's important to know what we're working with here. So he says, so I discovered this law. Maybe you know this verse. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body." Now, what is this different law doing inside of Paul's body? It says what? He says, it's waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in parts of my body. So Paul is recognizing that there is a part of him who wants to love, follow, and cherish God, wants to love, follow, and cherish Jesus. But he also recognizes in his members, this is the language that he uses, that in his members, there's something working against him. It's the law of the what? The flesh. He says, I don't do what I want. Is this anybody's story? Anybody's story. I don't do what I want to do. And I keep doing the things that I do not want to do. Right, Paul, you hypocrite. Duplicit life. What's wrong with you? Get it together, dude, bro. He says, man, there there is something else at work in me that is destroying me. Maybe you struggle with addictions. Your past is riddled with addictions and problems, brokenness. That could be sexual addictions, drug addictions, uh, w- w- Whatever, maybe self harm. Like I, I don't know what kind of your particular story is, and, and Paul is just recognizing that he's he's stepping into that with you and saying, "Man, I don't do what I want to do, and do do the things that I hate." And he says, "What is this?" And he says, "This there's just law working." Verse twenty four of Romans seven twenty five, because that'd be a terrible place to stop, right? That'd be an awful place to stop. He says in 24 and 25, what a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, that when my, uh, so, so then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Here, here's the reality. Here's what we see happen. Ultimately, Christ became what we are so that we could become what He is. This is what the gospels tell us, that Christ came, came to earth in the likeness of sinful flesh. He became what we are so that we could become what He is. Now, there's a theological term for this called uh, that Jesus' righteousness was imputed to us, that it was given to us. So this is, this is, um, this is the idea that Christ came and lived a perfect life And that when you become a Christian, when you become someone living in the way of Jesus, when you confessed Him as Christ as Lord, in that moment, it says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And in that moment, God sees you with the righteousness of Jesus. So His ability to live the law perfectly. His ability to live life perfectly. And so when you become a Christian, Jesus, listen to this, this is incredible. Jesus' righteousness is given to you and in your sinfulness, hear this, your sinfulness was imputed to Jesus. Now, what did Jesus do with that? He went to the cross. What happened on the cross? He took on the full wrath of God in the moment. The the scripture tells us that He was a propitiation for our sin. What does that mean? That means that in that moment, Jesus took on the full wrath of God that you and I deserved. In the moment. And so Paul says, there's no condemnation for a people who struggle in the flesh. Why? Because of Jesus. That'll give you hope. That'll give you something to draw from. That you once were a people separated from God and now through Christ, you've been made near. And so God had to do something on the exterior before He was going to do it. On the interior. Okay, so let's let's kick on down a bit um, and look back at Romans chapter eight. I got to move a little bit faster, um, or we're all going to be icicles. Okay, so here, here's what we see. Here's kind of the second thought that we see, and this is in your notes. Um, the Spirit continues the work. So God did a work externally through the life of Jesus. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit continues the work internally that the external work of Jesus made uh, possible. So let's look at um, verse ten. And uh, verse 10 and 11, I'm going to kick down and then we'll do some work and we'll go back up and do some more work in some of the verses that we looked at. So verse 10, he says, now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but there's a conjunction, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Verse 11, now here it is. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives inside of you. So this is, in a lot of ways, this is Paul's first recognition of the Spirit, this third person, what we would call the third person of the Trinity. He's kind of mentioned Him in two kind of brief moments, but this is kind of the moment in which Paul truly introduces the Spirit in the life of the believer in uh, the book of Romans. And notice the, the situation in the language in which he introduces the spirit into. He essentially introduces him into this kind of moment of, of competing forces. And he says, There's a spirit of law and life, and then there's a the law of sin and death. Right? In 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 uh, in verse um in verse two it says, Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from sin and death, from the from the law of sin and death. So he's introducing the spirit and saying, there are these competing forces that he's already been talking about in chapter seven. And and he, he goes on and he says um, in, in, verse, uh, in verse four, or I'll read three and then four, he says, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemns it in the flesh by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, verse four, in order, that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not, here it is, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. Now we're going to talk about the power of the mind in a second. We'll kind of close on that because I think it's important. But he, he goes into this interaction of having a, a mindset where the things of the Spirit or a mindset are against the things. But look at verse 6. He says, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit, here it is, the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Life and peace. The mindset, verse seven, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh, those who operate in the flesh, cannot please God. They can't please Him. You, however, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. And then here's the, the verse, verse 10. Now, if Christ is in you, so if, if you identify as a follower of Christ, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of the righteousness, uh, because of righteousness. And so he's saying, listen, in the life of the believer, because it gets a bit tricky here in a second, because you, you read this text and you're like, okay, I'm trying to make sense of this. Is it the spirit lives inside of me and enables me to live differently? Or do I live differently and then allow the spirit to work inside of me? Do I grow and mature primarily based on the Spirit or does my maturity and growth happen because I begin to, like it's almost like the chicken and the egg. Like, what, what, like what's the situation here? Is it the Spirit's work or is, or is it what I do? And, and Paul essentially says, yes. Like your, your, your salvation secure through Jesus. That's the drawing back from the past. But then he says, the way in which you'll walk in, in certainty and in hope as a people is through the Spirit, yes, but, but also through this, this word that he introduces in the Greek, it just translates mindset, not, not mindset separately, but mindset, one word. And so he says this, this, this work that you're going to be able to um, push forward into will happen through uh, will ultimately happen through um, the Spirit. Okay, let's, let's look on down. Third thing here and then, uh, and then we'll be done because uh, I want to flesh that thought out a bit. And you have this particular note inside of your notes. Um, our hope, our hope is rooted in God's gift of the Spirit. Right, so He gives us His gift of the Spirit, enables us to live differently and reinforced by our response to the Spirit. Now I use all these words on purpose. So our hope, how can we have a hope as a people that the Spirit lives inside of me, that God's gift of the Spirit and then reinforced by our response. Notice the change in five and six. In verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on things of the the flesh. Two separate words, minds set. Two separate words. If you're looking at your text there, those are two separate words. When you get to verse six, notice the change. What does it say in verse six? Now, the mindset. Notice that change, the difference there? The mindset. Now, mindset, what does he mean by that? Uh, mindset is a, a habitual way of thinking about life. So he's saying that the habitual way of thinking about life in the flesh leads to what? Leads to death. It leads to death. He says, if you're a person who operates with the mindset of the flesh, it leads to death. It leads to no peace, it leads to no comfort it leads to, to no hope. Listen, honestly, this is why it, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me when I when I've kind of culturally look around and everything feels so um everyone everything feels so angry right now. Uh, everything feels very, you know, in the red right now. I mean just people have it it, it extremely kind of passionate uh, viewpoints right now. And, uh, in, in so many ways we've villainized people that disagree with us. Am I, is that a, is that an honest observ- like cultural observation, right? That now we're at a place now where if you, if you disagree with, some, if someone disagrees with you, we villainize them. This is, this is what we do. Well, why is that the case? Why should that not surprise us as God's people that this is where we're at? Because the, the mindset on the flesh, the, 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 the mind that's working primarily out of the flesh is doing what? It's looking for hope and in certain times, because hope is birthed in, in the lab of uncertainty. And it's saying that right there, that will bring peace and restoration. This, this particular thing, this... Um, political viewpoint, this standard, this this whatever, this person, this person is the hope. Or this person is the hope. And when you are operating in the flesh, out of the flesh, you hold on for dear life, the thing that you think will bring you the, the greatest amount of hope. Do you not? You don't let it go. And so Paul says, this type of life doesn't lead to peace. It leads to death when we operate in this way. Uh, Tim Keller um, says this in thinking about this mindset, thinking about controlling our mind. He says this, the successful fight against sin begins by minding the things of the spirit. This is not the same thing as simply thinking about religion all the time or theology in general, the things of the Spirit uh, would be those things in which the Spirit draws attention. To mind the Spirit would be to be, I love the word that he uses, to mind the Spirit would be to be preoccupied by the things that preoccupy the Spirit. Now you can be a Christian and be preoccupied by a lot of other things. And maybe that's where you've operated and you don't feel, you feel like a hopeless person. And you feel like a hopeless person, not because you're hopeless, because the Bible tells us there's no condemnation in Christ, but you feel like a hopeless person because you've become preoccupied with the wrong things. You have your mind set on things of the flesh. Now, not mindset, because you're a follower of Christ. You're not primarily in the flesh. But you have your mind set on the things in front of you, the things of the flesh. And so you do feel hopeless. I mean, I, I'm finding, honestly, kind of just be really transparent and honest with it? like as your, as your pastor, even in Christian communities, I'm finding primarily the conversations um, that, that are, are dominated are, are a lot of times dominated, not even on things of God or things of the Spirit, Like I I would love for us as a church, like let's be an intellectual people. Let's be a people that can culturally engage. I'm for that, right? I'm I'm down. I have a subscription to the New York Times. I'm up to date. Let's be that. But I I would love it if we would become a a people that are preoccupied with the things of God and preoccupied with the things of the spirit, that we would would set our minds on the right things. And I know we, I, I talk about the power of, the mind a lot. I talk about the, the power of our attention a lot. And the reason that I that I do that is because I, I just think right now that is the, I think God's, I think it's the, the, the sin of distraction is so strong right now in our life. And it's so subtle. You know, it, a lot of other sins are easy to see. Um, addiction, sexual immorality, greed, anger. These are easy sins to see, like we can see these in one another, but I think a lot of times we've gotten the sin of distraction and we've gotten away from things that really matter. And it's created a, a certain sense of, dis, of, uh, of a lack of hope in our life. And we have to get back to it. Here, here's the reality and I'm done. I'll close on this. What Paul tells us in, in this passage, is that God has come to live with the people. That the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it is, is, it's confusing, but is, is God. He's God. And, and God has come to now live with you. Let, let me press this further. You ever had a guest come to your house before? You're like, no, I don't have any friends. If you could get me some friends, that would be awesome. You ever had a, you have a guest come to your house? You ever had a guest come to your house and you live in an apartment like we do, you know? A guest in an apartment and a guest in a big, in a big house, those are two different situations. Do you know what I mean? Like if you have a guest in your apartment, they're what? They're smelling everything you're smelling, you know? They're, they're hearing everything that you're hearing. You're, you're watching something, they're watching what you're watching. You're, you're listening to something, they're listening to what you're listening to, right? If, if you're staying up, they're staying up because they're, they're on your couch, right? When, when you have a guest come live with you, you, you do what? You notice. You notice, it affects everything about you. You're like, I got to put on pants before I come out of my room. They're, they're in whatever you're eating, they're eating. You got a drink, you better have two drinks, right? You got food, you, you better have some food and a snack. You better have your snack, because the guest that's with you is affecting in that moment how you live. And the spiritual reality of the scriptures is that God lives with His people. That He lives in you and He lives in me. What you expose yourself to, you expose Him to. What you fill your mind with, He sees those things. How you walk and how you live, He sees those things. See, God has come to live with us through the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to be a people who rightly reflect the reality that the God of the universe lives with us, we got we to be a people who quits, quits walking with so much uncertainty and, and draw our hope from the, from the dispensary of God's faithfulness